Welcome back to the History of the Barbarians podcast, season one, episode number six, titled Crisis of the Third Century, part three. My name is Josh Hirschman, and we are back to our normal narrative to journey through barbarian history with the story of the Goths. We will be looking into the Goths' largest raid on Roman lands and their defeat at the hands of the Romans today, which will mean the end of their role in the crisis of the third century. Now, last week, we talked with a writer of Gothic horror, and that's one of the things we'll try to do throughout the podcast to try to uh, make things a little more interesting and incorporate different aspects of culture into the podcast. So we will hopefully be interviewing some people that uh, that have an interest in architecture. Maybe we hunt down uh, some musicians from the goth era. Uh, we'll see what we uh, can come up with. Getting back to our narrative, when we last left off with the goths, they were conducting raids throughout the Balkans, Greece, Thrace, and Anatolia. And they were still led by Kniba, probably. And they have not been really held back by any of the actions of the Romans, for the most part. At least the Romans have not stopped the yearly raids by the Goths in our story. The Goths are going to expand the scope of the raids, and the Romans are finally going to be able to organize a strong response to those raids. This takes us to the years 268 AD or CE, and the Goths are looking to raid again. There is a fleet of 500 to 2,000 ships that set sail from probably west of Crimea. So these are uh, Western Goths or the, the future Tervingi, and we'll get into those more next week. But they take their hundreds to thousands of ships through the Bosporus past what will be Constantinople uh, in a couple of decades and raid the island of Lemnos which is in the Asian Sea. We'll have some maps up on the Facebook page. They then camped at the foot of Mount Athos in modern-day east coast of Greece, which is near Thessalonica. And that is on the east side of Greece, Asian, Asian coast. The group here is now split into three different smaller entities that would raid independently in various parts of the Eastern Roman Empire. One group, consisting primarily of the Hurali, which, again, I'm trying my best with these names. So if anyone knows the, the correct pronunciation for some of these, let me know. Uh, they are another Germanic group from the Pontic Steppe that are a part of the same area and culture uh, of the Goths at this time. And we don't know a ton about them, but we do know that they were associated with this raid. All right, so the Hureli are going to be raiding around Thessaloniki, Thessalonica, Greece. They would go on to plunder northern Greece and into Thrace. A second group, or another group, went by land through Greece and went south, and they sacked the towns of Athens, Argos, Corinth, Sparta, and Olympia, of very famous Greek tradition. A third group sailed across the Aegean Sea to plunder Troy and Ephesus, destroying the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Now, the fate of these three groups differed greatly as they each faced incredible challenges on this journey. The first group, made up of the Horali, crossed into modern-day Macedonia, where they were split into 
a further three bands. And one of these bands actually accepted a bribe from the Romans and began to serve with them in battle. Another went back to Greece, sailed north to the land above the Danube to safety. So they got back into boats and then sailed through the Bosporus again, went through the Black Sea and back up to the lands and made it home. The third group continued pillaging Roman towns and cities, but would eventually meet a new Roman emperor named Gallienus. Uh, I'm kind of tired of trying to explain how each of these Roman emperors get their uh, power. Uh, we've gone through a lot recently. If you have any questions, uh, look it up or check out the History of the Rome podcast. It's does a much better job and focuses on the Romans as opposed to the barbarians. But somewhere near Doberos by the Nestos River, which is probably in modern-day Macedonia, this group of Goths is defeated by this new emperor, Gallienus. So of this first group that is divided into three smaller bands, one group joins the Romans, another group makes it home safe and sound, and then the third group is defeated in battle, and they force some of the survivors to sign treaties to fight for the Romans. All right, so let's go to that second group that was raiding in southern Greece. Now, our old friend Dexippus basically was trying to deal with these, with this second group of Goths. And they're able to force these Goths kind of to the west side towards the Tyrian uh, Sea to the area of Epirus. They would work their way north for the winter. And in the next year, 269, they would meet yet another Roman general named Claudius in battle at Niasus or modern-day Nice, Serbia. Now, Claudius soundly defeats this group of Goths and chases the survivors back into Macedonia and then surrounds them at the Thracian Mons Gasax, which is probably in modern-day Bulgaria. The Romans start to assault the area that the Goths have pinned themselves up with, and the Goths are able to defend themselves pretty well. They hold off the Romans and force heavy casualties on the Romans. The determined barbarians were able to hold off until the onset of another winter. So they make it all through 269. And in a difficult situation, these Goths decide to surrender rather than to starve in winter or to continue to fight off more Roman attacks and settled as Coloni in other parts of the Roman Empire. Cloni were new settlers for regions that had been depopulated or had insufficient number of settlers already. And this practice for centuries uh, of Roman history would be utilized throughout the rest of the empire's existence. They would take peoples that they uh, had either forced into, into a treaty or had somehow defeated these people, and they would disperse them throughout different areas of the empire that needed farmers, needed people that could pay taxes. And so this second group of Goths, this is what happens with them. So after Claudius' victory, he's going to become an emperor and take on the name Gothicus, which is was a long tradition in Rome for a general to adopt the name of a people or region that he vanquished. See Scipio Africanus, if you remember way back into the Punic War days. This is the first, but will not be the last general to take the name Gothicus, as the Romans are going to be involved with the Goths many more times. 
Now, the last group, or the third group of the Goths that went on this large raiding party are the ones that went by sea. And they continued to raid Anatolia, Cyprus, Rhodes, Crete, to varying degrees of success. The Cyprus and Crete raids seem to have been unsuccessful to, to outbreaks of the Cyprian plague in the Gothic ranks, which we had talked about a couple weeks ago. The Romans were able to mobilize their naval units from Egypt to counter the Goths. The Romans had a large, experienced navy, and the Goths navy could be called amateur at best, probably. It was really just a bunch of boats like these Goths had kind of fashioned together or stolen or uh, were fishing vessels floating around. And there are some stories of the Goths having very difficult times navigating through not only the Black Sea, but even the Mediterranean uh, especially. To the credit of the raiders, they were able to, to weather several defeats at the hands of the Romans, though. Uh, and they made it back home to the ports in the Black Sea. It would be helpful to point out that when this occurs in 269, the Goths are able to sail right through the Bosporus to the Aegean and back to the Black Sea easily because there was a lack of strong defenses throughout the area. Constantinople is a small place called Byzantium at this time, and does not police the Bosporus like it would in later Roman and Byzantine times. So we had the three groups. All three had very different outcomes. Two, you would say, were pretty negative. The third group came back with a decent amount of plunder and a lot of people that were still alive that started out, and it did weaken the Roman Empire, but we saw this time the Romans coming up with a strong defense uh, and a strong response to this large raid. As we previously mentioned, the Cyprian Plague was running through the empire still, where it apparently killed Emperor Claudius II. And a new emperor named Aurelian comes to power. Well, actually, another guy became emperor that was Claudius's brother, but it's let's not worry too much about these these emperors during this time period, there's too many to, get, to go through all the time. Now, Aurelian was another general, and he certainly would need to use his military experience to deal with the many problems in the empire. So once he takes power, he probably does a needs assessment of the security threats to the empire and decides, let's work west to east. Aurelian is able to defeat the Vandals in modern-day Hungary and make them federati, or force them to fight for Rome in exchange for peace. He then beats back the Yathungai or the Juthungai, and as they pushed into Italy, who they were another Germanic group of people that we'll briefly touch on throughout our History of the Barbarians podcast. And then Aurelian defeated the Carpi, who were running around in Illyria and Thrace. So now that brings us to the Goths. Back in Moesia Inferior in 270. The Goths crossed the Danube once again and sacked the cities of Ancylus and Nicopolis before retreating back across the Danube with their booty and slaves. As you can see, many of the Germanic barbarians are practicing this raiding at this time as they perceive Rome to be in a position of weakness, which they are. Now, did I also mention that the Romans were experiencing two major rebellions of provinces in Gaul and Palmyra? Yeah, things are not good for Rome at this time. They were weak, hence the name of the crisis of the 3rd century. Now, the next year in 271, the Roman Emperor Aurelian defeated 
a contingent of Goths led by Cannabatus. Cannabatus could and probably was King Caneva that we talked about before. There's some debate about the identity of the Gothic leader, Cannabatus. Our only real source for him is the Historia Augusta, which was written by an unknown author or author sometime in the late 300s or early 400s, so over 100 years after these events that we're talking about. The actual structure of the Historia Augusta, which to go off on a little tangent here, is kind of interesting in that it's several biographies of various emperors of Rome, starting in 117 going all the way through 284 AD or CE. More than likely, it has many factual errors, but I have enjoyed studying it so far. I haven't gotten through it quite yet. I should finish it here soon. But um, some of these very biased or untrustworthy sources are interesting to read uh, as you get the different perspectives of these these old writers. All right, so back to our story. Now, the king of the Goths died in, in the battle, and the Goths suffered, according to sources, 5,000 dead warriors. Aurelian, who took the name Gothicus Maximus after the campaign, followed the Goths across the Danube to raid their settlements now. Now, this defeat of the Goths seems to sure up the Danubian region and marks a peaceful period between the Goths and the Romans, which will last for generations. And Western Goths, who will, will start calling the Tervengai soon, uh, will not attack in this area for years. There is a seaborne raid that occurred like 276 or 277 uh, when the Goths were able to, to attack Pontus and push into like Galicia and Cilicia. Uh, and then they returned back to the lands north of the Black Sea. But this appears to be Eastern Goths, so not the Western Goths that have been causing all the trouble, the Canebas or the Cannabatus-led uh, Goths. Now, these Eastern Goths, who we will call the Kruthungai soon, did not have access to Roman territory by land, but were, they were only left with the Black Sea route. So it makes sense that they would attack through the Black Sea. After the eventual retreat of the Goths, the sea appears to have found peace for the ensuing generations as well. Now, in 271, Aurelian had defeated the Goths and put them above the Danube where they belonged. The Goths were going to not be willing or able to attack by land in the Danubian region for the next generation. Aurelian needed to go deal with the Palmyrene Empire in modern-day Syria, but he did not want problems in the always troublesome Danubian region. So he solved one problem with another. He withdrew the troops and control from the Roman province of Dacia, which is basically most of modern-day Romania, an area that had about a million residents or so at the time. And it was cut off from most of the empire and was restricted by the Carpathian Mountains. But worst of all were the people around the region. You had the Jepids, or the Gepids, the Vandals, the Goths, the Carpi. They were all consistently harassing the area. If he withdrew from that area, that was difficult to defend anyways, that would allow another group to move in and be the dominant force in Dacia. The Carpite, which were mentioned in earlier episodes, were people that lived next to the Goths in the Danube region and were in a constant rival in all things. The Carpite and the Goths would fight it out for control of the former Roman, Roman province of Dacia. The Goths would eventually win as the Carpi were actually never heard from again and mentioning documents uh, at all after 318 CE. But the Goths were able to extend their influence into Dacia 
during the 270s, the 280s, and 290s. So while the Romans went and dealt with the various rebellions going on and various other threats around the empire, they were able to divert the Goths' attention into an area that they withdrew from. And they were able to have the Carpi defeated, and then most of the Carpi actually settled in Rome. And the Goths were able to focus their attention away from Rome for a time being. So the Goths were able to, to expand into new lands, increase their power and their wealth, and they, but they were still not a unified kingdom. The Goths are going to be still made up of small, sometimes competing groups that are loyal to a local leader, but would elect a king or a judge in times of trials or, or of war, like Geneva from 250 to 270. The term king is under some discussion as well as uh, we could call them chieftains or judges or reeks, and we'll go into this more next week. But it is during this time that we're going to see the Goths set onto more distinct groups as the political and military situation comes to a more stable basis in, from the 270s after the conquest of Dacia against the Carpi and the pro- former Roman citizens of the region, the Goths are going to enjoy a period of peace that we will see these barbarians start to or- organize themselves into distinct groups. This will give rise to two large groups of Goths that will push other smaller bands of Goths to the side or force them to join, the Tervingi and the Grithungi. That's right. Not the Visigoths or the Ostrogoths. Not yet. We'll get to them. But we are ways away from what we would eventually call the Visigoths and the Ostrogoths. Now, it's during this time period from 290 to the 320s that we'll see relative peace for the Goths in the land north of the Danube. The stability and the proximity of the Roman kingdom, where they can trade with the people of the empire, build wealth and power for the Goths, We're going to look into this uh, next time on our podcast. But the story of the Goths on the Pontic Steppe is going to be a peaceful one for a little while. So this marks the end of the crisis of the 3rd century for Rome. And this peaceful time period is going to allow the Goths uh, to become wealthy. And so that's probably a good place for us to stop as we see our... Goths able to grow in strength and wealth and influence. And we'll look into the political and social structure of the Goths next week. And a little information on the materials that we used this week was uh, The Goths by Peter Heather, Rome's Gothic Wars by Michael Kulikowski, The Historia Augusta, and History of the Goths by Herwig Wolfram. Please leave a review if you like the show. The good ones help other people find it. Subscribe if you're interested in following along on the journey with me. This is a work of progress, and I want to make this better. So leave some feedback on Twitter at History of the Barbarians or on Facebook at the Facebook page. Be sure to check out those images of Facebook page to give yourself a visual for some of the items we discussed in this week's show. And thanks a lot for listening. I'll see you next time.